hello out there and uh hello in here because that's where i'm coming to you from is deep inside if i'm here and you're there then we are here together and today i'd like to talk to you about someone that's been very influential in my life inspiring and one heck of an exemplar maybe the deepest one on a fundamental level at a time when um there aren't that many people who can do exactly what this person has done now before i start speaking about one eckhart tolle i'm going to tell you the story of how i came to even know about him and his work existing if you listen to the first episode or two of the podcast you will have heard that most of my life i was contemplating you know myself my place in this from a bigger picture perspective never being so concerned just with myself and whatever you might call my happiness my meaning for living my calling i never really viewed it that way i didn't even think of it as a spiritual journey um an open awareness was part of what helped me learn about the work of uh, certain people that then became steps in a deepening of of feeling engaged with my inner self as it is felt connected to the world around because you can't really experience one without the other it's relative we are in the material world even though we are energetic beings experiencing this life and form and as i've spoken of many times the thing that gets in the way the most is this powerful human self-conscious mind and the associated ego that goes along part and parcel with it that wants to take credit create identities around everything including you and make everything into information so that it can simply think about it and so on this journey i had a couple touch points along the way where i felt this freedom from thinking this freedom of self a couple times when i was a child when i was a teenager we all have these moments there are moments when we're lost in the moment we're doing something we enjoy we sometimes are doing something that we don't have time to think about so we just have to react like when we're playing a sport when we're at a concert when we're creating ourselves when we're just engaged and thinking is either completely aligned with what we're doing or it fades away to not being necessary because our thoughts aren't helping they aren't adding and they aren't influential on the moment and that can happen a lot more often then you think to the point where it can be practically continuous as i'm going to speak about so as i went along in my journey and started deepening these yearnings to you know know that there was something more to me and to all of this than i had uh, currently experienced i was recommended the book the prophet by khalil gibran and that was the first time that i read something in one place that began to encompass what i knew to be true about life it was much more of a balance of universal truths of you know the heart of a human balanced with whatever mind perhaps is needed to negotiate the moment without too much structure and after reading that book the person who introduced it to me my second partner in life then told me about the book be here now 
which I had heard about. Um, I don't know where, but once she told me about it, I um, got a copy and began to read it. And that's when things really started to change. Now, the perspective for me is a bit different, and this is the interesting part about looking at my journey compared to that of Ram Das, of Eckhart Tolle, of Wayne Dyer, of Lao Tzu, of Siddhartha, because we all share one thing in common, and yet, of course, we're each going to have our own individual journey based on time, circumstance, and previous human life history and experience. But when I read that book, it was mind-blowing because I had never done drugs of any kind, uh, excluding alcohol and getting drunk a couple times over the course of my youth. And yes, that does count. But what I'm talking about is, you know, the experiences that um, Ram Das went through with regards to, you know, LSD, actual mind altering, and then talking about in the book, segueing out of that and doing it naturally, you know, getting high just by getting high on the moment, on the sense of self, on unconditional love when it comes right down to it experiencing the moment and others as they are without judgment and the book was utterly fascinating to me because while i am both fascinated with uh the hippie culture i am at the same time kind of um what's the word i'm looking for not grossed out by it but just the fact that it still was hung up on a lot of things having to be part of the, the package, you know, drugs, free love, all of these things, things that never um, held an attraction for me. When he did segue in the book to speaking of just, you know, meditating, experiencing the moment, uh, having someone know his thoughts before he knew it and being able to commune with him on that level, that is mind-blowing because that shows us where we meet. We meet beyond mind. We meet in feeling when it comes right down to it. And I know that you know that because the best experiences of our life is when there's feeling without a reason. It's just because. So I read that book and the feeling of all that inner knowing started um, awakening is a good word. Started um being validated as being more real because I always knew it was I just you don't know it's that real unto yourself sometimes until you see others experiencing it and being able to relate it to you now this was um about 1998 when I read that and with my partner we started reading a lot of philosophy um religious texts as such just learning what we could from it without looking for an answer. And again, that big picture awareness um, was always key for me, not hoping that you know someone was going to tell me this is the way, these are the steps. I never did believe in that notion for whatever reason, and that has helped me along my way and continued to help me at this time. And over the next few years, we read of a lot of things, and it's a lot of what I came to begin to understand was that there's nuggets of truth in everything, whether it's religion, philosophy, a friend, a mother, a parent, um, who, whoever is a good example of just, you know, being an honest, authentic, good, honest human being in the moment. The difference is, it's hard to see someone doing that on a constant and consistent basis, because at the same time that I was becoming aware of that, I could see that 
most of society is ensconced in thinking, as I was, and that that's how we filter the world through the existing thought patterns we have, the conditioning we have, the, the systems and structures that this very mind has made into what we call human society around us. So I was aware of those two things, and of course this, is, this became much of what I contemplated was, well, how do you let go of that? How do you let go of the one and still function and still negotiate human society and the world around? And so with over the next two years, I spent a lot of time contemplating that. I even started writing my own book, <laughs> my very first book, which uh, I still have a copy of, but which uh, I will publish at a later date with the um, disclaimer that, you know, this was written from a Steve that uh, understood a lot of what was going on, but still hadn't completely let go. And so luckily that publishing fell through. And I'll tell you about that in a minute because it ties in with Eckhart Tolle. So having moved to Victoria in 1999 from Calgary, I found myself uh, in the spring of 2000 working for a landscape company, and uh, which is my day-to-day -day vocation. I had a used old beat-up pickup truck that we had driven from Calgary to Victoria Inn, and it kind of barely made it there. It broke down in Kamloops. Um, that's a whole other story. Needed uh, help getting repair. Sold a bunch of things to be able to pay for the repair. So we went there with a half-full U-Haul and a few of our other belongings and, and limped into Victoria. And this pickup truck, which I fully intended to use uh, once I went to register it, um, I was notified that it would take a lot of repair in order for it to meet the uh, standards of emission the emission standards for British Columbia, which were more stringent than those of Alberta. So as soon as that happened, I was like, uh oh, I think, um, I think I'm done with this truck. So one day in the spring of 2000, I took that truck and I found a place, uh, a wrecking yard, just up island from Victoria. I believe it was about 45 minutes away and uh, found a place that would give me a few hundred bucks for the truck rather than me having to spend a few thousand just to keep it uh, plugging along. I knew that wasn't going to be worthy, and I had a new job with um, potential access to a vehicle anyway, so, you know, things were working out. So I drove up island, drove up island, so I took a bus up island, sorry, I did drive up island, look at me think, and dropped off the truck, got a few hundred bucks, and then took the bus back. Now, on the bus ride back, I passed a few places, of course, that I wasn't familiar with, that I hadn't been before, and... I don't remember the road, but going through one particular very small town just prior to um, Butchart Gardens, which is uh, world-famous gardens in Victoria, I'm on the bus, I passed a metaphysical shop, and I could see, you know, a shop with crystals and books and, you know, spiritual things. And, of course, that was a bit more on my radar these days. And so I got off at the next bus stop, a little bit intrigued, and walked back. And I walked back and walked into the bookstore. And immediately upon walking in on the bookshelf, I saw a copy of The Power of Now, a book which I had heard of because I believe by then it had been entering into um, 
the bestseller lists perhaps and those things or at least you know friends in my circle may have mentioned it I don't remember the exact circumstances but that day I remember it being a, a nice day this is one of those moments when time kind of stood still and um, there was a bit of magic in the air I had a few hundred bucks in my pocket I had a job you know my partner who I love dearly I was going home to you know life was relatively good and I saw this book and having just read and reread be here now several times of course there was something about now that was imperative in my in my focus because it just again at this point I didn't know what it was but it was something profound and this book seemed to encompass it somehow so I purchased the book I went home and I read it and I read it quite quickly now I remember upon that first reading being touched a couple times to the point of having like tingles up and down my spine about certain things and certain very simple ways in which Eckhart wrote about the truth of this moment and universal truths that tie into it because you know as I'll describe later there's only a couple things that I will say absolutely that I know for sure in this lifetime and of course the one thing is it's always now and that seems obvious but it believe me because it took me another 15 years to dismiss the attachment to mind that wants to regulate right now through thoughts through past through future to being so in the moment that while I can use my mind for past and future my focus doesn't reside there it is firmly right now and I trust my senses to analyze the world around me and I do trust my mind very much to then come up with what is needed in the moment just like I'm doing now without any preparation any script this is all for memory because I was there it's all true stories it's just recollections and retellings of experiences that I've had that I've had and there's no need to change them embellish them they are what they are and so I love knowing that I can just do exactly this be present and allow it to happen and the things I read in the book that did exactly that to me were just the reinforcement of the fact that all we have is this moment and if you read that sentence that's fine and dandy your intellect will make sense of it but where the real power of now is is in stopping right there and contemplating that and again I've talked about contemplation before because it's different than thinking our thinking rational mind can read that sentence it is always now and no oh yep that's right that's true then it files it away as a piece of information but if we get past that and we contemplate it's actually now whoa it's actually now even though I can remember the past and project to the future even though I even even knowing that in 60 seconds from now I will still be here but it will be a different moment but it'll be the same different moment that is where you can sink into it past the intellect and then the intellect actually has nothing to do with it has no input and that's where thought can subside substantially if not completely which it did for Eckhart in his own way and which it did for me in my own way which it did for Siddhartha in his own way
all the same experience and the same feeling, slightly different paths there based on human experience and circumstance. The other thing in that book that struck me very profoundly and which I've used and which I relate to people more than anything as a practice to knowing how to simplify the moment and what you can do about it is this. In any given moment, you have three options. You can accept what is happening fully. You can try to change what is happening or you can remove yourself from what is happening. So if you're in a certain situation, you can accept it and go, okay, it is what it is. Here I am. And then go with it. React with it. Don't give it any resistance. You can try and change the situation. So if you're in a situation you don't like, you interact with the situation. You talk to the people. You move. You're, you know, if you're outside and you're cold, you put something on. You, you know, cover yourself up with something. And the third choice is you can remove yourself from the situation. If someone's yelling at you and you can't negotiate it, you don't want to accept it, go away. Remove yourself from it if you can. And all these three things will interplay because in some situations, you can't remove yourself from it. Say, for instance, you know you're, you're younger and you're in your house and you're stuck in your house. Then you have to go into one of the other two modes. How can you try and change the situation? You know, can you fight the situation? Can you fight it with love, hopefully, and actually negotiate the situation well? Or do you have to really just sink into acceptance? The most brutal example of this is making oneself numb to the situation because there's suffering happening that you cannot change. Now, I hope we evolve to a world where we don't have to ever have people do that. But even then, it's a very powerful tool until we can change the situation because hopefully that's always a temporary option so i took these three things you can say them in different ways one of the ones i've come across recently is fight flight or freeze and i find that very apt as well just another way of thinking about it and i i impart this to you because this is, is an extremely empowering practice and i know this because i did this on and off since i read the book the first time one of three times that I went through the book and began to ingrain it. And that's what it takes because we're human. We've been conditioned to things. We need to condition ourselves out of things and we need to re not replace them, but we need to make patterns that mean something to us. And the reason to condition something like those three choices in isn't because they're rules you have to memorize. It's because they make sense and because they're true and because they're rational. And if you look at life outside of humans, every other organism negotiates their situation based on those principles. It's easier because they have a more direct contact with their situations. But I practiced those for months and I had very amazing lucid periods of being outside of my own thinking patterns and being very decisive. Because when you give yourself the only those three options, as you run through them in your head and in situations, you begin to realize the choice between the three is usually very obvious in any given moment. And so you make a decision and then you just live your life. You go on with it. You're not stuck in perpetual thought. And making a decision or transcending your mind completely where you don't have to make a mind-based decision, those are the two places where you will find peace 
and freedom. So I read the book the first time, and that was one of the first practices that made a lot of sense to me. So I contemplated that on and off, as well as just laying down or sitting and contemplating it is right now, with, and trying to make it not a thought, but just feel the moment. Put the book down, and after a couple years, I read it again. And then, in reading it the second time, there was a deeper understanding of the depth of the words and what they were saying. And it was very interesting to read the book a second time because it made me realize that what is being said is so profoundly simple, and yet different examples are needed because different people will understand it through different contexts and different situations that may or may not apply to them. Like, it's always the moment, but how do I negotiate my relationship? It's always the moment, but I don't have any money, but I just got fired from my job, but I'm suffering, I have a chronic disease, and I'm always in pain, but, you know, everyone's got a personal evaluation of what this moment is and encompasses and what can and can't be done about it. So when I read it the second time, again, those spine-tingling moments happened, and I just continued the practice. Now, when I read it the third time, which was quite a few years later, it made complete intellectual sense to me to the point where I was like, okay, I don't need to understand any of the words anymore. It's actually dreadfully simple. The hard part is getting it out of the head and into the body, into the heart, and living it. And so I started doing that and contemplating. And after that, I actually gave that copy of the book away. And since then, anytime I have a copy of the book, I end up giving it away fairly frequently to the point where I rarely have that book in the house anymore because it's not like a reference manual that I need. Luckily, and with work, I don't need it anymore. And that's a good thing. It's like if you're, you're sick and you go to the doctor, the doctor should want to give you and help you to heal and or heal yourself in such a way that you don't need the doctor anymore. And the way to do that is to get to the cause, get to the root problem. And of course, with consciousness, the root problem is how do you get to root consciousness? How do you get past the self-conscious mind and associated ego within you? Well, Eckhart's book, and I won't say Eckhart's work because this is not his work. When I hear people speak of it that way, I'm struck by the fact that just saying that makes it obvious that they've missed part of the point. When things are universal, when a truth is universal, when a fact is universal, it doesn't belong to anyone. It just is. Just as what I'm talking to you about, everything I'm writing about, this isn't my work. There's no such my work about it. The experience I've had are mine and unique, and that's great. And I won't know everyone else's experiences or be able to relate to their exact experiences based on, you know, age, culture, different gender, different race, it's all going to be slightly different. But what I have realized over all this time is that no matter all that, we still all meet in feeling. Because the universal base feeling of satisfaction with self, of freedom, of peace, of unconditional love, is exactly the same. And I'm convinced that that's the same irregardless of species, of life form. A general feeling of contentment is a general feeling of contentment. What else could it be? 
of course, the human ego just wants to make us special and make it seem like, you know, we know how to love different. We know how to have empathy and it makes us, you know, special for being aware that we can do that. When honestly, that could be the default setting if we got out of our own minds. So, after reading the book for that third time, which I believe was about 2008, it was just about living life. Now, that doesn't mean it was easy, and I'll have lots of stories to tell about what happened between then and 2014. But if we segue forward to 2014, as I related in the initial episode of the podcast, I did a a meditation wherein I contemplated nature just being. And I picked, I picked a bear in nature so that, I ha- so that I would have a focal point. And I was contemplating what the bear would feel as a bear, living a bear life in a bear environment. And that's when the tether let go for me because I was getting completely outside of myself and into a state of open awareness, of bigger picture, of no ego. Because I was just curious to know. I wasn't curious to know for me. It wasn't personal. In fact, it was completely universal. Because having experienced that, it made me realize what everything experiences. All life experiences this. And on that level, we can relate. And on that level, we can have real empathy for the world around us, for people around us. And that is the power of now and Eckhart Tolle. Now, between 2008 and 2014, I listened to a fair number of Eckhart's talks. I found it uh, very calming and soothing to listen to his words and to realize he's just saying the same thing over and over and over because there isn't much else to say. And he did it in his own unique fashion. Very calming. And after 2014, I listened as well so that I could have a, a touch point since I had experienced the same thing, but differently, was in the same space and the same feeling and the same awareness. And that's when it really hit me that, wow, this is it. This is the base level. This is the foundation. And this is what makes life really easy to negotiate, irregardless of whether or not life is really easy in the moment, which it isn't for all, all the time. Because we live in a very complex society of ideas and structure and material and things that we seem to have to do in order to live a life. And while we do have to do certain things, we can choose how we feel about it from beyond our mind at any given time. And that's something I promise you. Because I've experienced it. And I hold that experience constantly and consistently now. It's very, very real. Now, what's also interesting, I'll just relate a couple more things. In about 2001, after, no, sorry, this would be 2003, I'd moved from Victoria to Vancouver, and I was, I believe, in the midst of reading the book for the second time, and I was walking up a street in North Vancouver on the uh, west side of the street, Lonsdale, at about 15th or 16th Avenue. It could be Street in North Vancouver, correct me if I'm wrong, when who would I see walking towards me but a quiet little man named Eckhart Tolle. (laughs) And he was in the distance. I could see him walking towards me. He had a a cap on. I had uh, 
a hat on as well. I believe it was spring, so it was cool. And it took me a second to, to recognize who he was, and I did. And I looked up, I watched him come towards me, and I decided just then to just fix my eyes. And I had a slight smile on my face, which I often do when I'm just walking around in public or when I see someone and, and make eye contact. You know, I don't go to my way to be extra jovial with someone I don't know, but I usually there's some kind of acknowledgement between me and another person. So I looked at Eckhart, and he looked at me. And I looked at him, and he looked at me. We passed each other. And, you know, I could see a little twinkle in his eye. Perhaps he could see a little twinkle in my eye. It was probably readily apparent at that moment and, and growing all the time. And that was that. I, You know, he was just another person walking down the street, as I was to him. And so that was a, an interesting moment early on. No need to talk to him. No hero worship. No, nothing um, of that sort passed my mind, as it never really has with anyone that... Um, whose work I enjoy, whose presence I enjoy in life. It just, it is what it is. Now I'll tell you a story about that book I wrote, which was uh, written in Victoria after I read The Power of Now. So I would have been influenced by it, but also it would have been, you know, a universal truth-laden book, which is beyond being influenced by someone. And it was called The Truth About Living, a title which I wouldn't actually put out there now. I might put out some truths about living, because there are a few that are universal. But to absolutely say the truth about living, you know, there's a tinge of ego to that, so that won't happen. That wouldn't happen. But what I did with that book, I was really excited about it. It was a fairly small book. I intended it to be that way, so it was fairly easy to digest. Kind of in the vein of the power of now. It's not a big book. It doesn't need to be. Um... And, of course, because it was in that vein, I looked up his publisher, and lo and behold, his publisher was Namaste Publishing in Vancouver, which was right there. So I actually contacted uh, one Connie Kello, who was the publisher, and set up a meeting, and she actually agreed. After I told her I have a book, it's about presence, it's about, you know, the state of the world, it's about thoughts about how people, how to inspire people to, uh, to be, you know, the best version of themselves, to be honest, to be authentic. All those great things. And it was and is a, an, a neat little book unto itself. But in setting up that meeting, something interesting happened and something very apt. So I set up set up the meeting. My partner and I got on the ferry, went to Vancouver. I had a, a printed copy of, of, of the, the manuscript in hand. I think it was about 80 pages, something like that. I'm not sure if I had sent it to her beforehand to peruse or not. I don't think I did. I think I just sent a synopsis. Because to me, it was pretty obvious that it was a match as far as content. And so we set up the meeting. Then when I got to Vancouver, I gave her a call once I was close to the location. Because she had said, you know, call me when you're here and we'll, we'll finish the, finalizing the details of where to meet and all that kind of stuff. And when I called, she was like, oh, oh, that was today. That was, going, you know, this is this is uh, about about your meeting. I'm sorry, but I can't. And, uh, you know, instantly, because, of course, I was still, you know, capable of being disappointed, I um, I was a little disappointed. I was like, ah, crap. You know, this could have been my big break. This could have been something really cool. But luckily, it only took me a few minutes to realize, okay, I guess I'm not ready. I guess this isn't ready. And so, here we go. Um, we 
did our usual tour around Vancouver, and then headed home. And I put the book aside, and it has stayed aside pretty much since that time. I've gone back and revisited it just uh, for nostalgia, and I will kind of edit it a bit and put it out again with a disclaimer at some point, to, as a comparison actually, for, you know, before and after having a true awakening experience of, of letting go of the tether to self-conscious thinking and, uh, and ego. And the first book, of course, for me, is going to be called Illuminating the Disconnect, the very podcast you're listening to, because that's what the universal insight is for me, is, you know, how have we grown into such a powerful self-conscious mind and, and ego, and what are the consequences of that? And if you desire to, from a deeper level, of course, that's life's desire for you, I would say, what are some ways in which you can approach getting yourself unstuck from thinking? <laughs> just as I did, and just as others have done, and as more and more people are definitely doing by taking this reality very seriously and dealing with it. Because being beyond that thinking mind doesn't take reality away, doesn't change it innately, it makes it just easy to deal with. But consequently to that, the reality created from that space is going to be different than the one we've created up to date. It just is, because without the associated ego, thoughts and actions aren't going to be tinged with what's in it for me. There should be no extra, there should just be what needs to be done so that one can be oneself and experience it, express it, and have it integrate with the world, society, community around. It should be that simple. So, I don't think I have any other Eckhart Tolle notes for you at this time. Um, but if uh, anything comes to mind, I'll relate it in a future episode. Because I will be talking about other exemplars, other um, books I've read that are foundational because they contain a universal truth, some universal truths, or a nugget of a way to approach being a more calm, peaceful sense of yourself. Because that's what I wish for everyone at any given moment, and which I know is going to be something that human, humanity experiences at some point in the future, without having any inkling of when and wanting, not wanting to predict when. You know, not up to me. Because what I've learned is this is an individual, collective journey. In other words, I'm a piece of the humanity's puzzle, which is a piece of the world's puzzle, and yet the only thing I can truly control is me, how I feel, and how I act and react to the world around me, mostly the world immediately around me, except in this day and age where we can do things like talk on the internet and produce podcasts that other people can listen to. And I take that very seriously as a means of communication, of connecting with the world around me. And I hope you can do the same on a deeper level within yourself so that it's more authentic and free and easy with the world around you. And I hope these words and these stories inspire you to do exactly that. And to help with that, as I had alluded to earlier, a couple things I'd like to pass along. I've done a heck of a lot of research, contemplating, philosophizing, some thinking along the way, crossing a lot of different schools of understanding, biology, evolution, consciousness, chemistry, 
physics, science, math, sociology. And throughout all that, and having experienced what I have, and talking about these universal truths, after all this time, there's still only a couple things that I will actually ever say I know for sure. And I'll be talking about this in a future episode, about words and using absolute terms and the way we speak, because it's very poignant and very important to be mindful. Because those two things, which tie in with everything I spoke about in this episode, are the summation of the universal truths that we can know personally, and then experience them collectively and within our experience of the world are one. I know that in this lifetime, as this human being that I am, I have this perspective, this one unique perspective, which is at the same time a universal perspective, because all life forms have the same perspective, and that is of being this self within the environment around me. And from my birth to my death, I have to respect and honor that this is my journey as such. And only I am going to know that the details of it 100%. But deeper than that, I also know that everyone can have the same experience of feeling irregardless of the journey. And the thing that connects that is the second thing that I know for sure. And that is that running through all of this, there is an intelligence, there is a consciousness, there is life, there is quantum entanglement, there is God divinity, whatever word you want to use, this thing is beyond words because it's there, it's always there, it's the fabric of connection. And I know that this is true because in examining myself and other life forms and myself in relation to other life forms, I know that at a base level, we really are all experiencing the same thing and that it's interconnected because nothing happens in a vacuum for a life form. And so knowing these things, I hope inspires you to realize how simple life and consciousness really are and how all the thinking we do cannot ever get us to this deeper understanding because thinking is a limited capacity that we have within our mind. As powerful as it is, it's still limited because it has to be. How do I know it has to be? Because I don't have to do it to exist. It doesn't have to be the top priority. When you're sleeping, you are who you are. When you're awake and engaged in something and you're not having to think, you're just aligned. Perhaps some peripheral thinking happens in enabling it because you're human. But you are more than you're thinking. You always were and you always will be from birth to death. And respecting that, I have found, leads to a very profound respect and trust of the self and respect for others where they are in experiencing this life and then you'll acknowledge it you'll react accordingly you'll hopefully hold yourself and others accountable in the moment to being the best self they can be hello fellow humans and thanks for listening i really appreciate it um ever since i got this thing started which was years in the making, I've been excited about uh, doing this and only this. It's what gives me the most pleasure in life is helping others help themselves. And it's actually what I know the best. 
despite all the other things I've studied for and uh, have had as careers, as experiences, as hobbies, as connections with life, this is it. So to that end, if you'd like to experience, if you'd like to support a very simple human doing this, it doesn't take much for me to survive, and anything over and above that that I ever make from this will always go back into helping others directly. And you can support me by finding me on Red Circle Podcasts, which may be where you're listening. Uh, There's a donating information there. I also have an account with something called LibraPay, where you can find me as Steve Alat, or you can send uh, a donation through PayPal, steve at illuminatingthedisconnect.com. If any of those aren't sufficient or fail, send me an email. Again, steve at illuminatingthedisconnect.com. We can figure something out. And uh, thanks for listening. I really, really hope it helps. And if it does, do send me a message. Thanks for your support.